Eagles Entertainment. With the 13th pick in the 2022 NFL Draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select... You're listening to the Journey to the Draft podcast. Welcome to the Journey to the Draft podcast presented by Life Brand. I'm your host, Fran Duffy, and it's time to get you ready for championship weekend in college football. A bunch of really fun games, and we're going to dive into it at the top of the show with Mr. Relevant. Connor Rogers is here to talk about championship weekend and get some of his biggest takes from the entire regular season as a whole. After that, we've got a lot of news to cover with Ben Fennel and Saturday Scouting. We've got Dane Brugger's new mock draft. We've got announcements for the Shrine Bowl, for the Senior Bowl. We've got, obviously, battles and matchups to talk through for this weekend. We'll do all that in Saturday Scouting. Pick six, Ross Tucker and I continue our head-to-head battle picking games here for this fall. It got tighter this past weekend, so a lot to be gained here from this game. I'm excited to uh, to talk through with Ross towards the end of the show. And then we wrap things up with Draft Mailbag. We've got a QB question here from one of our listeners at home. We'll hit on that at the end of the show. As always, head on over to Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a question. Uh, appreciate all the people that have left us uh, comments and reviews in recent weeks over on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you listen to the show. Great way to support us as we get to the end of the college football season. Really appreciate everybody. That said, let's get into it now with Connor Rogers. It's time now for Mr. Relevant. It's time for Mr. Relevant. Well, joining us here for the very first time on the Journey to the Draft podcast for this week's Mr. Relevant, Connor Rogers, the co-host of the NFL Stock Exchange podcast with Trevor Sikama. You guys do a great job over with Pro Football Focus, Connor. You could follow Connor's work, by the way, on Twitter over at, at Connor J. Rogers. Connor, welcome to the show. Brand, thanks for having me, man. I'm excited for this. I, I love your coverage of the draft, obviously, the amount of work you do in this space. So I'm really pumped to be here. Oh, I appreciate it, man. We'll, we'll, there's obviously a lot to chew on here as we get ready for championship weekend in college football. And uh, I want to start there. Is there a specific player or a specific matchup you're excited about when you start looking at this slate of games, especially once you look to Saturday's action? Yeah, I think for a lot of us, we're all keeping our eye on week by week on Quentin Johnston, right? Because mm. it feels like we're just dying for a wide receiver to grab the reins of being the guy in this class. And I guess the big question is, we're not, you know, absolutely positive Quentin Johnston's going to be able, ready to roll. But assuming that he is, he's got Kansas State corner Julius Brents in front of him, who's already accepted a senior bowl invite. You're talking about six foot, you know, two guys that are at least six foot three, hopefully seeing a lot of each other. Johnson's game isn't really polish. It's more physicality. Go up and win the football, make plays to help out your quarterback. Even when I'm covered, I'm open. And the fact that he's going to see a corner that's going to be playing on Sundays or should see enough of him, that's a matchup to me that's really, really exciting. I, I think back to some Big 12 matchups that had scouting implications going all the way to Denzel Mims against Jeff Gladney, things like that, where, listen, in the Big 12, are you always going to get these NFL versus NFL matchups week by week? Not often. This is a big one to me. What gives you the most pause uh, when it comes to Quentin Johnson? Like you mentioned, we're all kind of starred for who who is wide receiver one. Is there going to be a guy that's a top 10, top 12, top 15 type of player? And Johnson has been so productive whenever on the field this year. Is there anything that gives you a, a seed of doubt? I guess if I had to poke holes in a sense, because I came out of summer blown away by yep. his game. He, he was my wide receiver two coming out of summer, Fran. I looked at him and I said, man, when is this guy going to blow up in the space? And, and of course, he really did right before the season started. People got excited about him when they dove into that 2021 tape. And I think for me, if I had to poke holes in his game, it's just a matter of polish, right? It's yep. when you have a guy that it's almost a blessing and a curse when you're six foot four and you you play like a basketball player because you can get away with winning like that, especially at the college level consistently. And doing so much Jets draft-related coverage here in the New York area and Jets pre- and post-game, I've seen a transition for Denzel Mims that's been up and down, right? There was huge expectations for Denzel Mims. He's a guy that won with physicality. The polish is still lacking. Quentin Johnson, I think, is a more high-end prospect than Mims was at the moment. We'll see what the testing brings to us. But just that route polish, route consistency, and being a guy that you go to eight to 10 uh, times a game for also first downs, not just a guy you're looking to hit these splash plays to once in a while here and there. And maybe the product of, he's not playing in a bad offense, but maybe going to an NFL system that force feeds him targets even unlocks that consistency a little bit more. 
Yeah, I feel like we've seen so many receivers with this kind of skill set come in and get drafted high, and we've got a, a varying uh, degree of results, right? I mean, there's the, the Kevin Whites of the world, and then uh, then you obviously have a DK Metcalf. And uh, what yes. side of the ledger do you land on with a Quinton Johnson in terms of, hey, big, long strider, has a vertical element, but is going to come with a limited route tree, and you have to kind of bring him along from that standpoint. Uh, I think everything you said there was spot on in terms of what the questions will be with Quinton Johnson coming out of TCU. Uh, now let, let me ask you the next question. Is is there a player who has the most to gain with a big performance on Saturday? Maybe two guys that could see each other in BJ Ojolari and Broderick Jones, right? Yeah. I think they're guys that everybody is wondering what is the, the variance of how high they can go or how far they can fall because they are also prospects that you could poke holes in their game. But when you look at the ceilings of each, especially Broderick, I, I came out of summer, right? I think he played about 400 snaps last yep. year. And I was willing to project him as the top tackle in this class from what I saw. Just based on, forget the fact he was a five-star. He goes to Georgia where you know he's going to have tremendous offensive line development. You look at all the tools. You look at the flashes of the raw power in the run game. You So you look at it and go, hey, if somebody coaches him up in pass pro, and maybe he just needs experience, right? Experience might be something that he needs. Can you get a franchise left tackle? And, you know, we had we had Dame Brugler on our PFF pod this week, and I think he made a lot of really good points about Broderick related to how raw he can be at times in pass pro. But he's somebody to me that I think teams, when they go through the process, assuming he declares, will fall in love with a coach will look at and go, I can get the most out of him. And the fact that he sees a LSU front that has plenty of uh, plenty of NFL talent. You look at what Ojolari's done this year. I think I was too low on him coming out of summer. I didn't have him in my top five edge rushers. He's exploded this year. The flashes were there last year. Uh, his ability to just get after the quarterback. Is he a stout, strong, edge-setting run defender? That's not his game in my eyes right now. But if you're looking for somebody that can pin their ears back, win on the outside, counter inside, He's somebody that can give tackles a tough time. So I think that battle in the trenches is going to be a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, I, I love that matchup, especially, you know, watching Broderick Jones. Uh, a lot of the, the heavier ends have given him some some issues uh, here this year. I think that, that, that those power rushes, those low side rushes really tend to give him problems. So I look at B.J. Ojolari, who obviously, open. yeah, exactly, exposes that chest and, and, and has that ability to get moved off his spot. Ojolari, like, if, if he can go speed to power, if he's got a runway, he has shown flashes of that, but I would love to be able to see that from him here in this one. Both these guys have the athleticism to run the arc and, and turn the corner and everything like that, but uh, I will be excited to see that matchup from Ojolari's perspective for sure. Um, Alright, so now, talking about guys that you like a little bit more than everybody else in the space, who's a guy that you're stamping that, you know, this is, gonna, this is one of my guys here in this draft cycle? Man, I feel like this is a chalk answer now because he just exploded this year in a way that a lot of people didn't expect, but I was excited when Jared Verse transferred. I'm an Albany graduate, so I got a little early nod on Jared Verse, and nice. this guy came into the FCS and just, I mean, lit it on fire. He was unblockable. He was a man amongst boys, had no business playing there, even though he wasn't highly recruited. He goes into the portal. There's big-time interest. He goes to Florida State. Now he kind of has this Jermaine Johnson road, although a little different. Jermaine coming from Juco to Georgia to Florida State for opportunity. When you look at Jared Verse, it was, I'm just too good to be playing here, right? And I love my alma mater, but he was too good for Albany. He goes to Florida State, where I had him circled to watch him week one. And it felt like, and sure, he got banged up throughout the season a little bit, but it felt like he just kept exceeding expectations over and over again, where I look at him, Fran, and I, I think he could be the next edge after Will Anderson in this class. And if you told people that in July with a class that has Miles Murphy, I mean, all these different pass rushers, they'd look at you like you're absolutely insane saying that about a transfer from Albany. But I'm willing to make Verse a top 15 player. It wouldn't shock me at the end of things if he falls into the top 12. I think he's phenomenal in this one. And then if you're looking for more of a, hey, this guy's not going round one. He might not even go round two, honestly, when, when it's all said and done. But I like him more than where everyone else seems to be projecting him. Michael Penix at Washington. Yeah. There's an injury history there that's, you know, it's it's the big uh, the mystery, right, that us in the media evaluate a little differently than what scouts go through with their doctors and their medicals and all those things. But when you just watch Penix's big-time throws this year, it's up against anyone in the country right now. I mean, it really is. And, yes, the defenses he's playing are different. I'm not saying he's as talented as Bryce or Stroud. I'm not saying he's going to be drafted over Levis or either Anthony Richardson or maybe Bo Nix. 
But I would love to see Penix in an all-star game environment, showing off that arm talent, showing off enough mobility with the size. I uh, love the, the guy's character, the way he speaks, the way he's galvanized that team. When you look at the Washington program, I don't think anybody expected that kind of turnaround this year. And I put him at the forefront of it. So I will be higher on Michael Penix than where he's being projected right now, which appears to be middle to late day three at the moment. Yeah. I would easily put my stamp on him in the third round. That's the thing is I think if you look at, at this year's film, you say, okay, this is probably like a day two kind of player, but uh, with day three or honestly undrafted uh, medical, right? And when you have that, that yep. medical rap sheet that is like a CVS receipt, uh, that's going to be an issue for some people. But um, going back to Jared Verse, like he is my type of guy as well. Just that, that uh, instant power to be able to push the pocket. You saw that very early uh, in this season where he was able to jump off the screen. Uh, so I was glad you, you highlighted him. He's a guy we've talked about a number of times on the podcast. Uh, I know you guys lo- love their player. Everybody loves their player comps, right? So I, we, it's something we try and hit on on a weekly basis here, Ben and I. So I wanted to ask you, uh, do you have a favorite player comp based off all the prospects you've studied so far for this draft? Oh, man, that's a good one. I have some, some, I always have some weird ones that I come out of the summer. I looked at, I think a layup one that a lot of people will gravitate to, Miles Murphy is that Cam Jordan kind of play style. Okay, that's nice. what, and, when you call someone Camp Jordan, that's that's rich, right? Yep. I think you're trying to highlight the ceiling comp of what Miles Murphy can be because he's going to get drafted in a place where maybe the average fan's going to look at and go, man, he hasn't been as productive. Are we going to have the Trayvon Walker conversation with Miles Murphy again is kind of what I'm saying. And I think you'd illustrate to somebody, well, he can be a Cam Jordan-ish kind of player. I look at Sean Tucker. Here's a throwback comp I wrote down over summer. Reminded me of Thomas Jones. Just his feel for rush lanes, the leg drive. Uh, that was one I really, really liked there. And then the higher end, when you look at Bijan, he, he's like Georgia healthy Todd Gurley or maybe Rams right. Todd Gurley, right? Yep. So those are some that I wrote down coming out of summer. And I always put a little question mark next to them because I like to see how it changes from their play style or usage out of summer throughout the season. Uh, but those were a couple that I had felt pretty good about. I love that. The, the Bijan one definitely uh, definitely strikes true for me, too, in terms of uh, what he can be as a runner. Todd Gurley was so special at Georgia and had such a great career before the injuries really took hold. So, uh, Bijan, I, I could definitely see that kind of ceiling for him. Last question for you, Connor. Which non-quarterback, you mentioned all of the guys you guys studied over in the summer. You do position-focused breakdowns, uh, podcast episodes with Trevor, and you guys covered a ton of prospects over the summer months. Was there a player that you came in, major questions, maybe you were a little bit lower uh, than everybody else on, but they've exceeded and outperformed those expectations with the way they've played, and you know you're going to have to bump them up based off the performance this year? I'll be completely honest. For me, it's definitely I, – I was I had questions about Christian Gonzalez and mm. – you know, a couple of people, uh, when I didn't have him in my top 50 coming out of summer, a couple of people reached out and they're like, with the way he tests and, and the way his body type is and, and that kind of prototype at corner, they're like, he's going to fly off the boards. And I, my argument for him was he's got to find the ball this yep. year and raise your hand and say he has. He has right? yeah. You can change your opinion on a guy coming out of summer compared to what he does by the end of the season. He has done that. And, and I have to be fair to him where he's going to be around one corner. It's going to be a fascinating debate over how he goes compared to Keely Ringo. Uh, Joey Porter may be finding his mix in there. There's a couple other guys that will obviously be in the conversation. We'll see what happens with Cam Smith. So uh, Christian Gonzalez, to me, has gone from I looked him at, as a developmental day two guy when I watched him, even really through September. And then when you watch the whole season sample size, you go based on the traits, based on the progress, based on the trajectory that he's on. He cemented himself into the first round. I, I just have to be honest there. Yeah, I, and I think the, there was a point that you made there where you know you're allowed to change your mind uh, as you get more information. All of these players, I, I think that uh, some fans that you know don't do the work on, on these players and you're, they're relying on us to do it for them, which is that's why we're here. Uh, yep. We'll say like, oh well, how could you? You were so low on him before. How have you flipped course? It's like, all right, well, he got better. Got, <laughs> got more info. It, it's tough to do it as a one-person uh, scouting yes. department as it as it may be. And it's when you uh, get more info, you get more data, you do more interviews, you talk with more people now all of a sudden yeah like okay i i can see why uh people feel a certain way about this player and you're going to adjust based off of that sticking to your priors is not the uh the best way the best process uh to find success in this thing so uh connor this has been great man thanks so much for joining us here on the journey of the draft podcast presented by life brand again everybody go check out connor's work uh over at the nfl stock exchange podcast with trevor sykema connor we will talk to you again soon man absolutely friend thanks so much for having me 
It's time for Saturday Scouting. All right, time to keep the discussion rolling here as we welcome in Ben Fennel for some Saturday scouting. And Ben, before we continue our discussion uh, with the uh, championship games here on the horizon, we've got a lot of names to go through uh, for Senior Bowl and Shrine Bowl, both games announcing a bunch of prospects here in the last few days since we last recorded a show. And so uh, we will start with the Senior Bowl. And we've got another running back to add to the mix here, Eric Gray from Oklahoma, previously with Tennessee, now the last two seasons with the Oklahoma Sooners. Yeah, a lot of names here. Try to give you a quick little elevator speech on each of them just so you have a taste heading into their bowl season heading into those all-star games so you have a little bit of background and then you take it and run with it and uh do your own scouting out there but eric gray oklahoma reminds me a ton of our own miles sanders here kind of a three down four five running back hundred career receptions remember he was the university of tennessee transfer played two years there two-time gatorade player of the year out there five star everybody wanted him had to get out of the program there actually transferred over with wanya morris who also got a senior bowl invite uh, I believe last night also started early at Tennessee didn't play too well uh, with that kind of dysfunctional program there transferred over to Oklahoma didn't play last year actually didn't start any games was just kind of a rotational player thrust back into the starting lineup this year and it's having a great season uh, having a great senior campaign all right let's go to uh, the wide receiver position two names here we've got Charlie Jones from Purdue Trey Tucker from Cincinnati uh, Jones a 60 year senior transferred from Iowa and was extremely productive I think it took him like all of uh, five or six weeks before he had as many catches uh, with the Boilermakers as he had all of his career uh, with the Hawkeyes yeah Charlie Jones six foot 188 Iowa transfer was at Buffalo before that so yep. he's on his third school prolific kick punt returner at Iowa first team all conference I think two years in a row uh, as a kick returner this year huge season as a receiver over 1200 yards I think 12 touchdowns as well taking over that Purdue lineage from David Bell and Rondale Moore they've been pumping players into the pros he's a small player that plays outside the numbers primarily I think his home is going to be in the slot at the next level has good hands good play speed good play strength I don't think anything exceptional he's kind of that day three blue collar player that I think is going to be a good possession receiver how about Trey Tucker and Trey Tucker, this is pretty much a, a clone of Darius Davis from mm. TCU. 5'9", 180, kick, punt, returner, track speed all day long. Not a lot of length, not a lot of size, but he can giddy up and in a flash. Uh, another Bearcat, another uh, Cincinnati Bearcat going to the Senior Bowl, the tight end, uh, Josh Wiley, who we studied uh, back in the summer. He's tall and long. He's six six and a half. Uh, really good pass catcher. He's got speed to get down the seam. Uh, what have you seen from Wiley? Yeah, more of a vertical stretch type, more of a pass game threat than the previous Josiah DeGuara, mm. who's more of the 6'3", 240, H-back, move tight end type. I know they kind of filled in for each other there. It seemed like Wiley was the next DeGuara. Much different type of player. I think this guy can really... You you know, stretch the seams vertically, can be a red zone threat uh, in the pass game. A little underwhelming as a blocker. I yep. think he's more of a move tight end and a guy that's going to kind of live in the slot at the next level. Let's go to the offensive line. Two players want to get your thoughts on because I haven't watched either of these guys. Braden Daniels from Utah and Jarrett Patterson from Notre Dame. So Jarrett Patterson, a four-year starter, three at center. This year moved over to left guard to show some versatility. Yep. Really strong, smart, stout. Some athleticism concerns, though, so we'll see what type of scheme maybe covets that type of player. Reminds me a lot of Josh Myers uh, coming out of Ohio State. Okay. Ended up being a you know a d- day one starter with the right. Packers there. Does a nice job getting up to the second level. You just want him to be a little more fleet of foot out in the screen game and things like that. Braden Daniels, three-year starter, three different spots. Left tackle, right tackle, left guard. Awesome. He's got length. He's got bend. He's got quickness. The issues, a little bit of a waist bender, a little bit of a lean lower half, some play strength issues, and that quickness, sometimes it hurts him. Flies out of his stance, oversets quite a bit. So sometimes flying out of your stance there can hurt you. He's got a lot of tools, though, a lot of length. Fun to see him down there. All right, let's go to the defensive side. And, and a couple of these guys I'm, I'm very familiar with, and we just studied, uh, you and I, Missouri defensive lineman Isaiah McGuire together. This is a heavy end, really powerful, uh, has the ability to push the pocket. He's long. He can be a stout run defender. He's not the best athlete in the world, but I, th- I think if you like Tyree Wilson, if you're on board with Tyree Wilson out of Texas Tech, then I think you have to also be on board with Isaiah McGuire. Yeah, he's every bit of that size and length, 6'5", 280, DN, 3-tech, 4-I, heavy-handed, quick off the ball. Just needs a little little bit more urgency, a little bit more counter moves, a little bit more, you know, kind of juice in his play style. Um, But he really flashes. Look no further than that Georgia tape. Gave Broderick Jones a bunch of trouble, not only in the run game, but pass rushes too. Really good player. 
Allie Gay from LSU, a player we'll be able to see in the SEC title game against Georgia. Yep. Uh, we were just talking about his teammate, the P.J. Ojolari, in the last segment with Connor. But uh, what are your thoughts on Allie Gay, the senior? I don't know what to make of this kid. He's 24 years old. He's from Gambia. He's got an interesting background, 6'6", 260. He looks the part. Body, he looks like yeah. JPP out there. Yep. Was a JUCO transfer. Huge immediate impact when he first went to LSU in 2020. Yeah. Then last year, only four games. This year, average production, average impact. He's starting every game, just not making the impact I think you had hoped for a guy that's kind of developing, maturing, getting into his football career as a little bit of a late bloomer into football. But this kid looks the part. I think that's what you do at the Senior Bowl. You get a lot of guys that have the tools, look the part, have the ability. Maybe their college career, college coaching, you know, didn't uh, fill in the gaps like you need to. Ali Gay, we had talked about Wanya Morris out there. You know, it was a five-star Tennessee to Oklahoma, turbulent college career. This is what the Senior Bowl is all about. You know, getting these guys that with tons of ability, tons of upside, tons of traits. Now let's figure out where we can, you know, mend and mold them and find their their true ability for Sundays. I think there are there are a lot of alley gays around the NFL. Guys yep. that are big body defensive ends that maybe don't impress you on the hoof from an athleticism standpoint, but they're strong and stout, can hold the point as a run defender. He's got to clean some things up in the run game. He misses a bunch of tackles. There's the things from a technique standpoint uh, to correct, but that body type. I mean, he's he's going to be in the league. It's yeah. just a matter of like, what are we talking about in terms of uh, the overall? Yeah, in Central Michigan's Thomas and Coombe. You know, yeah. let's talk about him. You know, edge rusher as well. Similar type of, you know, 6'4", 260. He's in his sixth year. He was a Valdosta transfer, initially a tight end. But he's thick. He's powerful. He's balanced. Very heavy, violent-handed. Watch his tape against LSU last year. Tons of pressures against SEC tackles. Actually had pressures against three different left tackles in that game this year. Put on the Penn State tape. Put on the Oklahoma State tape. They played Power 5 schools, and he looked apart. Penn State, that's right. That darling left tackle, Olu Fashinu, going back to school. He gave him some trouble at times. He gets on a half man and just powers his way to the quarterback. Really well-built kid, older player, sixth year in college. He should be ready for Sundays. Uh, Keon White is a player we've talked about a decent amount here on this show. Another fun journey. Yeah, three yeah. technique, four technique. Uh, he has that ability to you know be a presence in a multiple front, yep. converted tight end. Mm-hmm. Uh, talk about uh, Keon White. Yeah, another guy. He's 6'4", you know, almost 270 pounds now. Played a little bit of edge, you know, early at Georgia Tech. Yep. Now playing inside, four eye, three tech. A lot of three tech, four eyes where he's then bubbling back out, which is a really tough kind of ask for college players. So I think he could be put in a better position uh, to kind of win at the next level. Just play him off the edge. He's got 40 QB pressures this year. Huge season. His injury last year didn't keep him on the field a whole lot. But you had mentioned Old Dominion transfer was initially a tight end. Just fun college careers of guys flipping sides of the ball, tons of ability, tons of upside. These guys work hard to mold their body, too. I mean, he put on 30, 40 pounds in the last two years of Mm. good weight, and it looks the part out there. He's a good-looking kid. Zach Pickens, defensive tackle from South Carolina, just a, a recent addition here this week. Uh, big body, and has been on the radar for a while. He was five-star recruit, top three defensive tackle in the country coming out of high school. He was the Gatorade Player of the Year in the state of South Carolina, state's Mr. Football coming out. So uh, a huge pedigree here with Pickens. What have you seen from him on tape? Who is the kid that came out of Purdue, you know, five, seven years ago, flash at Purdue, was inconsistent, and then he went to the Panthers and had a really nice... Kawan Short. Kawan Short. Yeah. That's who he kind of reminds me of. Six. Four, three oh five, three tech, two tech, two I type. This guy really flashes against single blocks. He'll stack and shed you. He'll beat you up the field. He'll work on a half man. Plays with really pad, poor, bad, poor, uh, really poor pad level though. Yep. Um, so he gets pushed back on double teams. But you see the initial surge. You see the first step. Just want a little bit more out of him. Um, so I think maybe Sundays can tap into a little bit more of a uh, reduced play time and find a role that really fits them. All right, we got three DBs here. One of them we just talked about in the last segment, Julius Brents, the corner from Kansas State. He's going to match up with Quentin Johnson here in the Big 12 title game. Uh, I know you've studied Julius Brents. He, he began his career at Iowa, right? Yep, yep, three years at Iowa. Minimal play time, though. But he's a good-looking corner. He's 6'2 and change, 205. Really good tackler. Three interceptions this year, so he's showing off some ball skills. He's going to be able to contribute special teams right away. There's some teams out there that want their corners 200-plus pounds. There's a lot of teams playing cover two nowadays. You better come up and tackle. You better be a force player. You better not have, you know, any play strength issues. That's what Brent has. So let's see if he can, you know, squeeze a 4-5-5 time in there so there's not any long speed concerns. This is a tough kid. 
maybe you're going to slide into the nickel. I was going to say, I believe that uh, I believe he played some safety early in his career at yeah. Iowa as well. So the position versatility is definitely important. Iowa never felt like he had a positional home or yeah. a positional fit out there. He obviously was, you know, almost 6'3", 205. Didn't really look the part of a corner. was almost too big. Um, but he's a really good athlete. Uh, speaking of Iowa, we got a couple Hawkeyes here to round out the group. Speaking got, of freak oh, athletes, yeah, yeah, right. We got Riley Moss from Iowa, the corner, uh, just under 6'1", 195 pounds. He was actually heading to the Senior Bowl last <laughs> year before going back for another year of eligibility with the Hawkeyes. And then uh, Brandon Merriweather, uh, there are Kayvon Merriweather, yeah. uh, the, a safety on the backside <laughs> there for Riley Iowa. Riley Moss will be one of the freak athletes of this whole class. He was on the freak list the past two years. All sorts of speed, change of directions, explosiveness. He's going to be a fun darling uh, in the springtime. Tons of ball skills, tons of speed. What are the issues? Not a lot of press coverage. It's all side saddle, half turn technique out there and really questionable play strength. So Mm -hmm. we'll see uh, what NFL teams think of him and Merriweather, that thick safety, free safety type that's going to fly down and run support. And most of the time with some bad intentions. So you love those guys that kind of fly down in the box, some athleticism concerns. I don't think he's going to be that free safety uh, center fielder on the back end. A lot of quarters going around in the NFL now. Yep. Perfect cover four type of safety. Yeah, played plenty of it uh, at Iowa. We yep. were just watching that uh, that secondary going up against Purdue and uh, Charlie Jones. And just watching that group. It's a, it's a fun group to study. And the last one to round us out this morning, talk about crazy college career, Jalen Redmond, Oklahoma. This is a great player when he's on the field, Fran. Now the story, just a little over 1,000 snaps in five seasons. We go back to, you know, a whole different era of Oklahoma. We had blood clots in 2018, really nice 2019. Then he opts out of 2020, knee injury in 2021. Now, all of a sudden, 2022, new scheme, new program change, new head coach. So Isaiah Thomas, Perry and Winfrey, Nick Benito, off to the NFL. Redmond's having a good season. Just need to see where he is health-wise, mentally. Um, but when he's on the field, he's a really good-looking player. Can play some three-tech, four-eye, played some DN, played some zero and some sub-packages up and down that unit. Turbulent college career, but good player when he's on the field. I loved his tape from earlier in his career. Uh, watching him, he was a high school DN, like you mentioned, and this is a guy that uh, just under 290 pounds, like pure three technique. And I think he's got those that that, that juice to be able to win inside as yeah. a disruptor. Uh, let's go over to the Shrine Bowl. A bunch of names here. Uh, we'll start on the offensive side of the football. I actually recently studied Tulsa running back Deneric Prince, and he, he's kind of a hard-charging running back, Ben, really best uh, with uh, the downhill gap schemes. And you watch him, uh, even against Temple, I think he ran for like 200 and some yards uh, against the Owls here at Lincoln Financial Field. Uh, trap, counter, power, get him downhill going. Uh, and he, he runs a little bit high. He kind of reminds me of the FIU running back uh, from last year. Um, uh, Devontae Prince. Devontae Prince. He yep. kind of reminds me of him. They, ironically enough, they have the same last name. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, De- Deneric Prince, interesting player heading to, to Las Vegas. Tight end Luke Shoemaker from uh, from Michigan. They've got a t- couple tight ends here in this draft class, but Shoemaker really st- stands out. A, because of his size, 6'5", 250, but a really reliable hands catcher as well. He's made some imp- impressive grabs throughout his career. In a fun, versatile background, high school quarterback, receiver corner has a lot of athleticism in kind of his uh in his makeup put on a lot of good weight at michigan yep. eric ali as well or eric all i think eric uh, all, yeah. another tight end out there really good group of tight ends in michigan all right so a couple longtime starters to the tackle spot we've got connor galvin from baylor jackson kirkland from washington now galvin he has played left tackle only six seven three ten uh four and a half year starter so doesn't have that proven versatility we'll see if he can show that out at vegas now jackson kirkland from washington he has that proven versatility. He played left tackle for two years. He was a right guard before that. And this year, he's been playing as a left guard. And so 6'7", 330, a five-year starter. The big thing with Kirkland... Uh, medical. Uh, he yeah. he was set to be in last year's draft. He was at, he actually excited, accepted an invitation to go to the Combine and then was granted a late... He petitioned. A later, yeah, yeah, he That's petitioned right. to get that extra year and went back to school at Washington. So uh, this is a big-body kid that was in first-round mock drafts uh, going into last year, um, but the medical, uh, obviously a big factor there with him. He is every bit a 6'6", 330, but when you look at him, he doesn't have freak proportions. Doesn't look like he's super broad. Doesn't look like he has super long arms. Doesn't have that big belly or that big butt. Doesn't have that big neck or that big head. You don't really see where he's fitting 6'6", 330 into his frame, but he is. He is a large human being. He has the size. He has the tools for Sundays. He's shown he could play on Sundays. He's also shown he has some issues as well against Sunday-type players like that Aiden Hutchinson game. Well, speaking of uh, big-bodied blockers, let's go out west to Oregon. We'll stay out west uh, with uh, with this Oregon tackle. He plays on the right side. Uh, Malasala Amuvai Laulu. 
I thought I hit that okay. I, I can get a little bit better with that. I'm trying very hard uh, with pronunciations. But uh, he actually was on the Senior Bowl watch list a year ago, went back for that extra year despite the coaching change, stuck with the Ducks, a two years or a couple years starter at right tackle, 6'6", 330. Uh, keep an eye there on Amuvai Laulu there. I had on some the right notes side. on him. Massive tree trunk thighs, not an angular frame in the least, heavy handed, some poor redirect, really calm short pass sets, will punch you through the roof here, lunges a bit outside of his frame, struggles with some quickness. Definitely better suited at guard. Malaisula, Amuvai, Laulu. Played some right tackle, played yes. some right guard. Another guy like Kirkland, every yep. bit of 6'6", 330. All right, let's go to some guys that are a little bit off the radar here. We're going to start with a one-year starter at Auburn, a left tackle who gave up a bunch of sacks this year. Um, but Killian Zyra, or 6'7", 312, looks the part. He's a, He actually came over, he grew up in Munich, in Germany. Uh, so came over as a uh, uh, you know as an international prospect uh, and has just now started. This, this year was his lone year as a starter for the Auburn Tigers. So uh, we'll see what he can prove down out there in Las Vegas. And then a small school player from Grand Valley State, Quinton Barrow, who there's a little bit of buzz about. He's a big-bodied kid at 6'5", 330, three-year starter there. has played a bunch of football for them because, uh, again, you got to keep in mind, they did not play in 2020 due to COVID. So would have been a four-year starter for that program. But Quinton Barrow, a guy to keep an eye on out there in Vegas. One more interior offensive lineman, longtime starter, four-year starter in the SEC, Ricky Stromberg, uh, another Stromberg coming out of the Arkansas program, Ben four-year starter at center. Yeah, he's a really strong player. He was having a great 2021 season until those Georgia Bulldogs came in and Jordan Davis. And tend to happen, they, yeah. they tend to ruin a lot of seasons, just yep. like Kentucky last year, a couple teams like that. But Stromberg's a really smart player, stout player, guy that could play on the move, really good reaches, climbs to the second level really well, just struggles with the uh, the torque and wrestle against the 330 nose tackles, has some play strength concerns, but he can occasionally hop back and anchor against some bull rush. But he's played a lot of football. I think that center position, you don't always look at the traits. Sometimes it's between the ears as well. No you doubt. want an intelligent center. I think Stromberg can play for a long time on Sundays. All right, three defensive linemen here to watch. Andre Jones from Louisiana is a sixth-year senior, 6'5", 260 pounds, four-year starter off the edge after converting from a linebacker early in his career. So Andre Jones from Louisiana, the Raging Cajuns, keep an eye out for him in Vegas. Dante Stills from West Virginia, a, a fifth-year senior, 23 and a half sacks in his career. His dad, for our uh, older list, Listeners may remember Gary Stills was a longtime NFL linebacker. Uh, Dante Stills has a brother uh, that has played in the Big 12 for a bit. So uh, Dante Stills, fifth-year senior, he's going into uh, the Shrine Bowl as well. And then another name, this is an interesting one, Ben, because uh, every single week we're going through just looking at the numbers and looking at the metrics, who's the guy that stood out this week. When you look at the pressure numbers every single week for defensive linemen, Viliami Fajoko from mm-hmm. San Jose State is at or near the top of pressure every single week out there with the Spartans, and he's heading out. Uh, out to Las Vegas, 6'4", 263. I know he lines up inside and outside. I'm really fascinated to study this kid, uh, but the, the numbers kind of speak for themselves. The Mountain West always churn out some freak pass rushers with a lot of production. San, uh, San Diego State's got a couple yep. of them they have in the past. San Jose State's got some good prospects. Fajoko, though, really proud family, really long uh, lineage of football players. Remember Simi Fajoko, receiver at Stanford, yeah. Braden Fajoko, D. Lyman at LSU. Some are brothers, some are cousins. I could listen another maybe 10 or 12 yeah, right. here. Yep. Just type in Fajoko on like a database. It's a long list of them. It's a very proud football family uh, with some, some really good bloodlines. Two DBs here. We want to hit on to wrap this conversation up. Nick Jones, the corner from Ball State, two-year starter with second team All-Mac this year. Only had two picks, but six foot, 185, big corner. Keep an eye on. The other one I find to be very intriguing, and I know you are as well, Minnesota's Terrell Smith, 6'1", 215. So that's legit size with an outstanding track background. That's a lot to work with. Yeah, Georgia State 100-meter and 200-meter champion. This wasn't like a you know, 1A and we don't run against anyone. He was 10, 3, 900 meter. That's legit. That's like right on the edge of Olympic trial, you know, type of qualifying. We just looked up another kid earlier that won his state 100 meter and it was like 10, 9 or 11 yep. seconds. So how they're winning their state championships, make sure you're diving into because not every state and every right. conference, and every class has the same type of performance, but 6'1", 215 with a track background. That's some intriguing tools right there. Yeah, no question. And so a nice blend there from the Shrine Bowl in terms of guys that have some upside with a low level, low, a low level of experience or guys that have, you know, the, the tape is, is uh, kind of speaks for itself, four or five-year starters uh, coming from the college level. Let's now turn our attention to this weekend and here in college football. Obviously, not a ton of games, but it's championship Saturday. So we've got a bunch of really fun games to go through. What's one one-on-one matchup, Ben, you're most excited to see here this weekend? Well, this is a huge matchup for a lot of players on both sides of the ball 
call Utah USC, which Friday USC night, yep. squeezing their way into the playoff. You know they want to buckle up and really have a signature win here, not give that committee any reason to leave them out of those final four. Utah's got some good players both sides of the ball. We talk about their old lineman, Braden Daniels, a left tackle. Talk about those tight ends, Dalton Kincaid. Unfortunately, uh, the uh, Brant Keithy. Keithy. I'm not sure if he's been in the lineup or not lately. He's not. No, he's already Uh, out. Tavion Thomas at running back. Some really intriguing players. But on the defensive side, don't forget about Clark Phillips out there. And he's going to have to battle, obviously, Jordan Addison, Mario Williams, and that prolific passing attack from Caleb Williams out there. But Clark Phillips, I think he's flirting right now at like corner six, corner seven. Signature performance here, thrust your way into a top five cornerback. Seems like Devin Witherspoon kind of leapfrogged him mm. a little bit with the buzz. Clark Phillips, have a big game against those USC receivers. That'll help. Uh, yep. for, for me, I'm going to go. I'm going to stay the same position group, go to the SEC title game on Saturday. LSU, Georgia. Well, LSU's got the big receiver, Kayshawn Boutte, going up against Georgia's Kaylee Ringo. Uh, and that is a that is a blue uh, blue chip prospect battle. Uh, that will be a fun one to go back and watch. They move Boutte around, so I don't think it's going to be every single snap, but the, uh, the reps they do get against each other, uh, that will be a scout's delight. No question about it. Let's go to the next one here. Most to gain, a player who could really benefit from from a strong performance this weekend. For me, Big 12 title... Look, Deuce Vaughn, you are, you're either going to feel one way or another about Deuce Vaughn because of the size. You're, you're, so I don't know that there's anything that's going to really swing you one way. It's kind of like the uh, the Bryce Young discussion. You either are in or you're out. Uh, I think with Deuce Vaughn, it's kind of the same. But, hey, if you go up against TCU, who's undefeated and is heading to the playoff, and you knock them off with a big performance and he goes off on the ground and through the air, Deuce Vaughn is going to uh, you know put himself higher up the pecking order. He's a fun player, and I find those types of players are a little bit more coveted by NFL coaches and scouts that are very comfortable with themselves. Yeah. You know, ones that trust their offensive scheme, trust the coaching staff, trust the leadership to, you know, maybe play an outlier. You know, I think about players like Taysom Hill, that was an outcast from the Packers that were very structured in how they wanted to use players. Goes to Sean Payton, who's a little more creative. Says, well, he's not really in anything. Let's see where we can use him. That might be a Deuce Vaughn at the, at the next level, and there's players like that in every class. But Sean Payton had success with a guy that's very similar to Deuce Vaughn and Darren Sproles. Exactly, yeah, and it's funny how that works out. Yeah. But let's focus on this Big Ten uh, you know, championship matchup. Purdue, Michigan, listen, I think Michigan beats them by you know double digits, maybe three touchdowns. You know, Purdue just doesn't have the horses, I think, to compete against the Michigan. But there's good players on this Purdue team. Branson Dean, really well-built three technique, 6'2", 280. Actually second in the Big Ten in interior lineman pressures. Okay. Just behind this, this freak show at uh, Illinois that nobody talks about, Jerzon Newton, who has right. 54. Branson Dean is second with 33. Crazy that Newton kid is 20 Huge. more. Yeah, right. 20 more than the next guy. But we'll save that conversation for another day. And the offensive side of the ball, Purdue has a really good-looking tight end. Payne Durham, 6'5", 255, 21 career touchdowns, 14 the last two seasons. The only three guys ahead of him, Dalton Kincaid, Michael Meyer, Brock Bowers. Yeah. Pretty good company right now, right there. And 12 out of those uh, 14, all in the red zone. Mm. It's a guy with soft hands. Oh, yeah. 500 special team snaps in his career, too. Really good athleticism, good hands. NFL loves Big Ten tight ends, yep. and so do I. So I'd love to <laughs> see him on my team on Sundays. Yeah, he's a guy heading to the Shrine Bowl uh, as well, so we'll keep an eye here. Look, on look at the Cowboys Durham. sitting there, you know, with the Wisconsin tight end this year and the uh, Indiana tight yep. end and Hendershot. They're sitting there laughing at those kids. Every single year, uh, those Big Ten tight ends uh, find ways to stick in the NFL. Now, another big set of news here from the uh, from the draft cycle so far uh, here this this week. Dane Brugler, our, our friend that we For know him. well, uh, put out a mock draft, and so whenever that happens, everybody stops what they're doing. Okay, let's read Dane's mock draft, and let's really quickly go through the top ten picks here in this mock. Ben, number one, Houston Texans select Alabama quarterback Bryce Young. Number two, the Chicago Bears taking Alabama's pass rusher Will Anderson. At number three, Detroit Lions selecting Georgia defensive tackle Jalen Carter. Seattle Seahawks at number four take Clemson defensive end Miles Murphy. At number five, the Carolina Panthers select Ohio State quarterback. C.J. Stroud. So pretty chalk up front in terms of who is going in the top five. It seems like Miles Murphy now is almost every top five of these mock drafts. But you got both quarterbacks, you got the two SEC D linemen, and you added Miles Murphy. That rounds out the top five. Now, on the back end of that top ten, we've got the Philadelphia Eagles sitting at number six. Brian Brezzi, the defensive tackle from Clemson. At number seven, the Arizona Cardinals selecting tackle Paris Johnson from Ohio State. Green Bay Packers at number eight, selecting defensive lineman Tyree Wilson from Texas Tech. 
the Las Vegas Raiders at number nine, selecting Oregon corner Christian Gonzalez, and the Houston Texans taking Northwestern offensive lineman Peter Skaronsky. So, uh, real quickly, let's go back to that Eagles pick at number six. This is a pick, obviously, from the New Orleans Saints. Here is the blurb from Dane. General manager Howie Roseman won't need any convincing to target a defensive lineman, especially a prospect like Brian Brezzy, who has the athletic traits and the intangibles worthy of a top 10 selection. Jordan Davis and Brezzy on the same interior would be a problem for blockers. So, Ben, we have not seen Brezzy to the Eagles all that often. Uh, what do you think? Well, you and I are both on the same page that this guy is a top 10, top 12 talent all day long. Yeah, absolutely. He's really stout. He's strong and play up and down the interior of the O-line from anywhere from a four tech to a zero shade, in my opinion, and do it in a fine uh, capacity. And I think that fits Jonathan Gannon's style of flipping anywhere from odd fronts to even fronts, to over fronts, to under fronts. You got to have guys that are versatile. And just going back to the well and getting younger, you know, and reducing the play time and finding, you know, more quality, you know, focus on guys like, you know, Fletcher Cox and that, you know, uh, aging generation of defensive tackles. Got to keep adding coals to that fire and keep turning over the roster uh, in the trenches there. So, you know, it's an exciting to see, you know, Milton Williams growing and adding in Jordan Davis and, you know, Hargrave is playing really well. Don't just sit there and get all fat and cocky with your current roster. Keep looking ahead. Keep improving. Keep getting younger. And a Brian Brezzi sitting there, that's a great proposition. Yeah, I th- I agree with everything you said. I think that uh, when you look at Brezzi, uh, that's a guy that's built for a multiple front defense. And really quick, if we just dive into the landscape of this top 10 as you set up, and I really trust Dane's opinion. But if it's going to go Bryce Young, then defense, 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 C.J. Stroud. I don't think there's any way that those teams will be picking there. Right. Someone's moving up for CJ Stroud. Yeah. Well, anywhere, Chicago, Detroit, Seattle, if they're not taking quarterbacks, someone's coming to take a quarterback. Right. Yep. And there's teams that need quarterbacks that are nowhere in the landscape. You know, New Orleans, they could pop up out of nowhere and maybe trade a big time player and try to get up there. Indianapolis. What if, you know, uh, Las Vegas moves on from Derek Carr? So some teams that we need to find the future of their franchise that aren't in great spots to Mm -hmm. find that at the moment. That's huge landing spots, in my opinion, for those players. I think quarterback goes one, two. Yep. But who will it be? I have no idea. Is there a, uh, a pick inside the top 10 that you think is most likely? For me, it was uh, at number seven, the pick right after the Eagles, Paris Johnson, the Ohio State tackle. Uh, look, they need a ton of help along the offensive front. They, ha- yep. they haven't addressed it with, uh, with high-quality assets. Uh, I think when you look at Paris Johnson, uh, that makes a lot of sense. I know people that have been through there and have seen him up close so far. Uh, the film from this season kind of speaks for itself. His first at left tackle, I know people are very excited about the Ohio State left tackle. Yeah, most likely in the top 10 for me, C.J. Stroud to the Panthers. You're sitting there at five, and you have your pick of, any quarterback outside of Bryce Young has to be C.J. Stroud. Yep. All right, well, let's get to uh, the Eagles' next selection, which doesn't happen does not happen until number 31 here in this mock draft, and it is Alabama running back Jameer Gibbs. Here's the blurb from Dane. The Eagles have not drafted a round, run, round one running back since 1986, but with two picks in the opening round and Miles Sanders set to hit free agency, maybe they would break the trend for the right player. Jameer Gibbs is a sudden athlete with the vision, acceleration, and receiving skills that are ideal for the Eagles' offense. The Eagles also could go with an edge player like Ohio State's Zach Harrison instead but an offensive backfield of Jalen Hurts and Jameer Gibbs would be fireworks. Ben, uh, this is one of the chic picks uh, for the Eagles in mock drafts. I don't know if there's anything uh, left to say here. You and I have kind of chewed this uh, chewed this bone everything he's got. Yeah, he's a fun player to add to the offense. Three down back, I think can uh, primarily you know contribute in the pass game, screen game. B. John Robinson's already off the board, 21 to the Baltimore Ravens there. Yep. So it's essentially running back two on the board there. And same thing with the defensive uh, you know, philosophy. Keep adding weapons and getting younger and more explosive around your franchise quarterback. So the five players that went off the board just before Jameer Gibbs. So at 26, the Tennessee Titans selecting Georgia tight end Darnell Washington. At 27, the Dallas Cowboys selecting Illinois corner Devin Witherspoon, who I broke down uh, with Dane earlier this week. And Dane gave us, a, gave us a tip that Witherspoon would be in the first round of this mock draft. Buffalo Bills selecting guard Osiris Torrance from Florida at number 28. At number 29, the Minnesota Vikings taking Ohio State's wide receiver Jackson Smith and Jigba and at number 30 the Kansas City Chiefs Man, this one's scary. Uh, Jalen Hyatt, the speedy, speedy wide receiver from Tennessee, joining Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid in Kansas City. Um, yeah, that, that one is a uh, that one will be a fun one. Is there anything from that top five or from that back five that stood out to you? No, just other than seeing a lot of those players in there. I love seeing Darnell Washington as a first round player, Devin Witherspoon as a first round player, Osiris Torrance, maybe not a first round caliber player in my opinion, but a Bills pick all day long mm-hmm. fits that Roger Saffold. Remember they uh, took Cody Ford yeah. a couple years earlier. Yeah, he's got that. Body type. They're okay with that mauler there at guard. 
All right, most likely pick from this entire mock, all 31 picks, uh, Ben. Uh, what do you like here? What's the most likely in your opinion? Well, Green Bay Packers 2022 is dysfunctional. They're kind of turning the page of 2023. Can use some offensive line help. Can use a Devontae Adams of the future. But the most likely pick is going to be them bringing another defensive tackle here with their first-round pick. And Tyree Wilson, eighth overall. Just because, of course, you know, just when you think the Packers need A, B, and C, they're going to go get D, E, and F on you. So <laughs> just as a little bit of a fun one there, just just when you think, you know, you know what Gutekunst is going to do out there in Green Bay, he's going to ebb and flow on you. Uh, for me, it was the uh, the Tennessee Titans selecting Darnell Washington, and you alluded to that you loved seeing Washington in the first round of the mock draft. I think that he checks a lot of the boxes we've seen from early Titans draft picks in recent years, where uh, you look at the the size profile, you look at the the age there. Uh, there's a, just a, the, the toughness aspect that he brings to the table. I think that Darnell Washington feels like a Titans player. Now, uh, they play more multiple tight end sets than anybody. They're getting great uh, output right now from Chigakonkwo, the rookie tight end, who's a third-round pick out of Maryland, but very, very different from mm-hmm. Darnell Washington. So uh, adding Washington into that mix, I believe Austin Hooper uh, was yep. only a one-year deal. So uh, I feel like you get out of that and Darnell Washington steps right in. So that one made a lot of sense for me. Next question. Most controversial pick from this mock draft. Which one uh, stands out to you from that standpoint? I seen Lucas Van Ness, Iowa defensive tackle and kind of a hybrid lineman going to the Chargers there. 17th overall. A little controversial to not give, you know, Justin Herbert maybe some help. Maybe mm. them not to take a Michael Mayer or Darnell Washington or something on the offensive side of the ball. You know, you already have some pretty good trench players on defense with Joey Bosa and Khalil Mack. Obviously, you want more of a playmaking three-tech in there to kind of go between those. So, how does, What does Van Ness profile as? I have not done him at all. He reminds me a lot right now when he's at his best of like a Justin Smith type. Okay. Throwback kind of one. He's a hulking defensive end that's likely going to play three-tech. Wins with brute strength. Not always great pad level. He is as strong as an ox, though. Mm. I don't think he always knows what he's doing technically, but he is just freakishly strong that you can't explain or teach. Right. That was Justin Smith. You know, he didn't always play technically sound or with the best pad level. He was just country strong, and that's Van Ness. So why is it controversial? Number one, I think where they're addressing but number two, he's just a little bit late on the production, a little bit late on the playtime, a little bit late as a prospect, a little bit late on buzz as far as what he's done so far at Iowa. It's a little bit more of a legend right now, more than uh, his actual production. I love it. Yeah, I, I have not done him yet, so I was just going to get your thoughts on him uh, going in the top top 17 uh, of this draft. Um, for me, uh, Bijan Robinson, the running back uh, at 21 to the Baltimore Ravens, and and. Look, I love Bijan Robinson, the talent. Um, I know Dane has been uh, actually on his podcast, on the Prospect of Pros podcast. Uh, he and Andy Staples talked about the pick, and he was like, "Look, I just could not find any team in the top twenty to give Bijan Robinson." And we get to twenty-one, and I was like, "All right, like this feels like this could be a spot for the Ravens." Obviously, they've had a lot of injuries at the position. When I look at this, I say, "Okay, well, we know the Baltimore Ravens, one of the most analytically forward organizations in football. That would surprise me. I think that would be a, a really surprising pick if they were to take a running back that high in the draft." That said. When you look at Eric DaCosta since he's taken over, who are the first-round picks he's taken? He's taken an off-ball linebacker. He's taken a center. He's taken a safety in the first round of the draft. <laughs> so th- those are not what you would say is like, oh, yeah, like the most analytically forward uh, kind of selections. And it always feels like every year you say – man, how did that guy fall to the Ravens? And like B. John Robinson certainly checks that box. Uh, they love that area of the country. They've been like slamming like the Midwest and the Plains since DaCosta take, has taken over. And some people say, oh, is that like, you know, that might be just coincidence and it might, and it might be. But we also know that the human element comes into play and that, you know, some scouts are louder than others and are more convincing than others for guys in their area. And then uh, they're able to pound the table a little bit better. So I think, look, there's there's a lot of reasons why this does make sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, it would just surprise me uh, seeing the, the Ravens go with a running back there in round one. I like the pick, though. I think they need some stability at that position. They've just been, you know, blasted with injuries the past yep. two, three years. J.K. Dobbins and Gus Edwards and such getting good production out of guys, you know, like Kenyon Drake. But you can add some real high level production and yep. Bijan Robinson, who's a home run threat to, you know, to take it to the house anytime with a Lamar Jackson. Hopefully they get that deal, everything worked out yep. there. And then you just start, you know, uh, adding to the run game and retooling this uh, offense. Uh, last question for a non-first-round picks, because Dana included those as well, just for the teams that did not pick in round one. Which one do you like most? For me, it was Devin Ashane, uh, their running back from Texas A&M, going to Miami. Uh, so adding that level of speed to Tyree Kill and to Jalen Waddle, that's just unfair. Uh, that would be a lot of fun. <laughs> 
Yeah, mine would be uh, New Orleans Saints taking Mazzie Smith second mm. round, who reminds me a lot of Malcolm Brown. Had a couple years with the Saints. He's no longer there. I believe he retired or he's just a free agent. But they can use a playmaking uh, interior player there at that front. One other pick in the first round I really like, Dane, Trenton Simpson to the Jets. Nice. That's a great pick there. I think uh, C.J. Mosley and uh, Quincy Williams have been great Mike-Will combo. They work in. Quan Alexander is that third linebacker. Jordan Whitehead's a nice box safety. They can use a hybrid kind of playmaking type. I think Trenton Simpson would be a perfect, perfect tool in there. You know, hold down that nickel spot, be a blitzing kind of a Sam linebacker. Well, I'll be asking Dane about this, uh, the process of putting this mock draft together uh, next week right here on the Journey of the Draft podcast. Ben, thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you next week. Now it's time for Pick 6. All right, time to wrap up the show here with Pick 6 as I welcome back Ross Tucker. And Ross, uh, it was a one-point swing in your favor this week. Now, uh, it is now a three-point lead for me. I'm ahead, uh, I believe, 60-57 to as we sit here today uh, looking at the season's total tally. Uh, The swing for me, um, I had one point for Jordan Addison, the under on receiving yards for him against Notre Dame. I set it at 99.5. He only finished with 45, so the Irish came through for me. Uh, You had a couple of of big wins, but your most notable – was that extra point I gave you for correctly guessing the uh, the Oaken Bucket Trophy uh, last week in the Indiana-Purdue game. So you get that one point. That was enough uh, to swing you here. You won your Iron Bowl bet as well. Um, so now we go into uh, championship weekend, three-point contest. We'll see uh, see how we're able to do here. I I love it. I got – what. What did this go through bowl season? I forget how far. Yeah, we, we did it through bowls. How much time I have to make this up? Yeah, we did it through bowls, uh, and we did. I think the final one was for a champion for the championship game. We did every single one. Well, every single it was six different uh, categories, all gathered. You know, pointed around that game. So uh, we still have a few weeks left here for uh, for you to be able to catch me. But uh, we'll start with our pickums, and we'll start uh, in the Atlantic or the American Athletic Conference here. Uh, UCF, Tulane, straight up. Who do you like here? This is a tough one. Kind of going back and forth on this one. Um, I'm going to go Tulane. I don't know that I have any great reasoning for it other than their running back is nasty. Tajay Spears, that was – I mean, some of the cuts he made against Cincinnati were incredible. I'm a little bit worried about Tulane coming off the win at Ooh. Cincinnati and how much that meant to make it to the championship game, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but I'll take him anyway. Tulane. Yeah, I'm going to go with a team that just just finished really hot. Uh, you know, they had the loss a couple weeks ago against Louisville. Then I'm talking about UCF. They lost by six points to Louisville, who has been playing well uh, down the stretch. Outside of that, this is a team that has won every single game coming down the stretch. They are well rested. Uh, they had a, a blowout win over South Carolina State. Uh, you know, I th- to start the year, but I think ultimately you look at the way that this team has played. Um, you know, they they lost that one to to Navy just a couple weeks ago, but outside of that, uh, spotless down the stretch. They did. They were able to beat Cincinnati a few weeks ago as well. Well, uh, so give me UCF here. Uh, I like them in this one over two lanes. We'll see uh, if I'm able to uh, get some ground on you here with the AAC. Let's now go to the Big 12. TCU, Kansas State. Uh, TCU, a great season so far. You think they keep it rolling? No. I think this is the end of the line. Wow. I think K-State win. It's hard to win every game, man. I mean, they're good, but it's hard to win every game. K-State's playing really well right now. I got a lot of respect. For their coach, Chris Kleiman. And they got a Downingtown boy who's been playing pretty well at mm. quarterback in Will Howard. You know, I love the uh the local flavor. So I'm gonna take, I don't know if they'll play who they'll play more, Will Howard or Adrian Martinez. Doesn't matter. Maybe they'll play them both. I like K-State to upset the Horn Frogs and send the college football playoff into a tizzy. Oh, that would be uh, outside. There are a number of teams that would be very, very happy with that result. But I will stick uh, with TCU here. And uh, this is a team that is every single test along the way. I know you and I had this stretch where we were picking them uh, in one game or another, and each of us kept going back and forth. And uh, it always seemed like they found a way to thwart us, and they have obviously stayed unbeaten this entire time. I'm going to keep rolling with them. Give me TCU here over Kansas State. Uh, Let's now go to our over-under. We're going to take a look at the Big Ten title game Purdue against Michigan and we're gonna take a look at the Purdue senior quarterback Aiden O'Connell one of the best seniors in the country does he throw for 300 yards against Michigan the over-under is 299.5 that I set uh do you think he hits the 300 yard mark against the Wolverines kind of going back and forth on this one because I think Michigan's gonna just run over Purdue and keep the clock moving 
But I also think that Michigan's not going to want to let Purdue get anything cheap or deep over the top. So I kind of like the idea of Purdue being behind most of the game, Aiden O'Connell just chucking all over the place. I'll take the over. I don't know that I feel great about it. Yeah, you. I, honestly, I typed in under as you were talking. As I thought, oh, you're 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 leaning towards the under here. Uh, I'm going to go over as well. Um, I think that overall, I think Michigan wins this game handily, and I think Purdue's going to have to throw to to stay in it. They want to throw anyway. So uh, give me Aiden O'Connell, 300 yards passing here in this one. Let's now go to the SEC title: Georgia, LSU, and the two best players on either side of the football. Uh, Brock Bowers at tight end, the true sophomore for the Georgia Bulldogs. Kayshawn Butte, uh, the wide receiver. The junior for LSU who's got more catches in the SEC title game we're gonna give the push to Butte here uh who's who has more grabs in the SEC title I'm gonna go Butte um I like that he gets the push and I also this is a um this is a game script decision for me a little bit in the sense that I feel like LSU is gonna be behind LSU is gonna have to try to come back and that's how you get volume of catches as a receiver. Give me Keishon Butte. Yeah, it was interesting just kind of looking at both of their game logs and kind of going back and back and forth. It feels like, uh, you know, Bowers has been kind of the steady Eddie and Butte has been all over the place. He'll have one game where it's one or two catches and then he'll come back with six or seven. Whereas Bowers, he's been in that uh, four, five, six range for the majority of the season. Uh, I will take Bowers here. I, I think that this defense uh, could give LSU a lot of trouble. Um, yeah, and I think that that would obviously limit uh, Butte's production. So give me Brock Bowers here uh, in the either or category. Let's now go over to high low. Which number is higher? Looking at the ACC championship game, Clemson and North Carolina. The number of sacks by the Clemson defense or Drake May, the stud, the stud quarterback, true sophomore for, for North Carolina, uh, his total touchdowns in the game. I will give the push to Drake May touchdowns, but what number is higher? Sacks for Clemson or TDs for Drake May? I really like getting the push. You like, I really yeah, you're going, you're like about getting the push. The push. Yeah, so I'm going Drake May. I know Clemson's D-line's really good. They're going to get after him. But I do think he'll be able to score some touchdowns. We just saw Spencer Rattler be able to do that. Nerd Aim was able to do that against them. They're not like some impenetrable wall or anything like that. So give me uh, give me Drake May, the touchdowns on the push. Oh, we're going opposite on a lot of these. I'm gonna I'm gonna go Clemson here. I, I like the this Clemson line. North Carolina has struggled to to protect May for chunks of this season. So I, I'm gonna go with the Tigers here, taking advantage of that leaky offensive front and getting after Drake May. Let's now go with the upset specials. Not a ton of options here for us this week, Ross. Obviously, championship championship Saturday, uh, championship weekend. You've got good teams all across the board. So not anticipating too many blowouts here. But uh, who's your upset pick? This was pretty easy for me. Yeah. It's the Zips. It's Akron. Akron. Over UB. Akron just won their first game, um, league game in a long time against Northern Illinois. They're playing better football. And I would not be shocked at all if they are able to go into Buffalo and get the win. So give me the Zips over UB. So we'll keep a look on that one. For me, in terms of the games that qualify for us, we're looking at the Big Ten title, Michigan and Purdue. And Georgia LSU, and I'm gonna so I'm gonna go away from that MAC game, and I gotta pick which team is more likely to win, Purdue or LSU. And I've gone back. Not and even forth close. It's LSU. Yeah, I think it's LSU. Yeah, I, I'm I'm going LSU here. Uh, I don't Purdue has no it. chance to beat yeah. Michigan. I mean, that would be like <laughs> the shocker of all time. Yeah, that's. A, I honestly, I went back and forth. I was like, man, that would be so so surprising. I will go with uh, with LSU. I don't feel great about it, but uh, that's why they call it an upset. Ross, we'll see. Uh, we went opposite on a bunch of plays here, so um, th- this could be a huge huge swing week here going into the college postseason. Good. All I, all I care about is Akron. I mean, the other ones I care about, but come on, Akron. Come on, Joe Moorhead. Let's go DJ Irons or under Cuffler, whoever's playing quarterback. <laughs> I need the zips to come through. That'd be huge. Now it's time to hear from you, the fans, in the draft mailbag. So great stuff there from Ross. We've got one question here for our draft mailbag. 
Cat Scratch Reader left a five-star review saying, love the show. My question is, do you think this season's struggles of Kyler Murray and Russell Wilson will hurt Bryce Young's draft stock? Specifically, does Kyler's struggles to stay healthy the past two seasons and Russell Wilson's somewhat early age decline reinforce long-held beliefs about size limitations at the quarterback position? So uh, it's a good question, and I think that there will be people that will ask this question. And this is from uh, Durst NFL Draft uh, on Twitter, uh, Cat Scratch Reader on the uh, on Apple Podcast. So I want to throw uh, some love to the handles there. Uh, to me, I think when you look at the, the question regarding Bryce Young and trying to transition that to some of the shorter quarterbacks, and you throw Baker Mayfield in there as well, um, look, at the end of the day, you have to say, why are these guys struggling? And is it because they're short? Or is it because of other issues? And I, I think that that's the, the where I ultimately get to. Um, Bryce Young, uh, you know, does he have some of the same issues that Russell Wilson, who, by the way, has like won MVPs and won Super Bowls and has been, uh, you know, one of the better quarterbacks in the league over the last decade plus? Uh, yeah, like that, that. I think that there's something to be said uh, for that. Kyler has certainly had flashes, uh, but has struggled at, at times here throughout the course of his young career. Uh, I think at the end of the day, you, you have to go with, uh, with what you believe in. And I said that earlier uh, to Ben is that, um, you're going to feel one type of way about a short quarterback. Some people say, you know what? I am completely out. And if you're out, you're out. That's fine. Guess what? There are NFL teams that operate that way. You say, you, you are not on this board. Uh, you are not on our draft board. If you were a corner with less than 32-inch arms, you are not a wide, rec- a wide receiver on our board if you run slower than 4-5-5. Four, 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 five, five. You are not an uh, offensive lineman on our board if you've got under 32-inch arms. You can go down the line. All of these teams have these size thresholds, these testing thresholds, and it's just a way to shrink the board down, make you find focus, and really hone in on what you prioritize. For me, I don't question the size uh, with, with Bryce Young. I don't think it's going to be a major concern. And if he does fail, I don't think it'll be because of size. Uh, and so the, at the end of the day, uh, I'm willing to look past that, but not everybody will feel the same way. So really appreciate the five-star review. Appreciate the question there from Cat Scratch Reader. Again, if you ever have a question of a mock draft, rankings, whatever it is, leave it there on the Apple Podcast page. We'll answer it here in an upcoming episode. Covered a lot here this week on the Journey of the Draft podcast. We'll be back to break down all the action next week here on the Journey of the Draft podcast presented by LifeBrand.